Lord Jesus, it's so amazing that you came. It's so amazing that we can be here in this room today and know that you are real, even though we haven't seen you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that inspired this word. And I pray that that same spirit would inspire our hearts and speak to us through your story today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, kind of in every time I've shared here, it's sporadic, but I don't know if you've noticed, but it's there's been a theme, an on-the-way theme. So the first time we talked about on the way to Sodom, last time was on the way to a funeral, so today had to be on the way to something. Um, so this time we are on the way to Bethlehem. Um, and today I wanted to look again at the story of the wise men who came from the East. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I put these slides together on my PowerPoint program. And then when I tried to run the slides, the program had put these really funky transitions in all of them <laughs> that I hadn't put in. And I tried to get rid of them and I couldn't get rid of them. So we're just going to live with them, and it might help you to know that you're not the biggest mess in the room. The speaker might sometimes be the biggest mess in the room. Um, so first, I would like us to, to just look at the story. What is our story today? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For from you will come forth a ruler who will be shepherd, who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on ahead of them until it came to a stop over the place where the child was to be found. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And after they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. A precious story, one we've heard many times. I've been hearing it all my life. Um, one that has inspired songs and music and plays and movies and um, an absolutely thrilling story. But in order to really dig into it and really understand it and really um, get what God wants us to get out of it, we've got we've to dig a little bit. So let's get to know the players in our story. First, the Magi. 
My version said that magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Some other translations have translated that wise men. So we call them the wise men. Um, Now, I have to be honest with you. I'm not a historical scholar by any means. So I just looked up some articles and documentaries and learned as much as I could about the magi. And um, it seems like there's widespread agreement. There isn't a lot of controversy about who these people were. Um, The word magi comes from a Persian word for a select group of priests. And this group of priests had been around for a long, long time. They had originally come from the Medes. Remember the Medes and the Persians? Um, They were a cast of wise men specializing in astrology, medicine, and natural science. In fact, Our word magic comes from the same Greek version of the Persian word. Um, I don't know if this is, they were around for a long, long, long time. So I don't know if this is true for all the time, but at least part of the time they were not idolaters. They were monotheistic people. Um, And they had priestly and governmental roles. As far as I could discern from what I read, they were not actually kings, even though we sing we three kings, but they were, one speaker I listened to called them king makers. They were very um, influential and had high powerful positions. They could depose kings, they could bring in kings, um, they held top government offices. They often chose the king of their realm. So they were very, very important. We had met these people in the Bible, as far as I understand, years and years ago, um, because we think that they knew Daniel. Um, Daniel, uh, when he started out in Babylon, remember, the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon at that time. Um, <clears throat> these were uh, the soothsayers, priests, the conjurers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans. When the Persians came over, these wise men positions were taken by and maybe even the Babylonian wise men were um, brought into this group. I don't know how all that worked, but um, Daniel was still there um, under Persia, Persian rule, and um, he was still uh, associated with leadership and with the wise men and leaders in the government of Persia. And it's um, a good bet that they knew Daniel um, heard Daniel. In fact, it was in the first year of King Darius um, <clears throat> of median descent that um, Daniel got the explanation from the angel about exactly when the Messiah was going to come. In Daniel chapter 9, um, that's when the angel is explained to him that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince would be this certain period of time. So if they spent much time with Daniel, that may have influenced the timing in which they were looking for a king to come. They were looking for evidence that that this prophecy was being fulfilled. Uh, Daniel seemed to be well-respected in Babylon and Persia. And um, yeah, so, so they knew Babylon over 600 years or so before, or they knew Daniel, sorry. Um, <clears throat> And he had visions in exile. He had these explanations while he was under Persian, uh, living in Persia. So there was that. 
And Daniel had predicted when this Messiah would come. Who's our other player in this story? So that was the Magi. Our other player is Herod. Who was Herod? Um, it says that this happened in the days of Herod the king. Um, as I understand it, this Herod, now that just like there are many Johns, there was more than one Herod, but this Herod um, was not actually purely Jewish or, or however you'd say that, right? He was an Edomite. Um, Augustus Caesar, he was in good with Augustus Caesar, and Augustus Caesar had actually given him the title King of the Jews, and he had given this position, him this position as King of the Jews, but the Jews didn't like him. He was an Edomite, and we'll find out he wasn't a very nice guy. Um, they didn't like him, and it actually took a three years and a five-month siege before he could actually occupy Jerusalem and take his position. Um, he was not accepted by the Jews. He was not liked by the Jews. But the thing that he was really good at was he was a great builder. So he rebuilt the temple for them. He built Masada. He built great things. And he was very well known and very famous for his building. And he was um, in with the, the Roman leadership. Um, he's probably the greatest builder in Jewish history. But he was also... Um, a madman. <laughs> he was um, responded very violently to any perceived threats to his power and his position. Um, and he didn't, he didn't care who he killed. He murdered his wife. He murdered her, her mother, her brother, her grandfather, um, two of his sons, and maybe more. I've seen different lists of the, the people that he murdered, had killed whenever he felt that his position was threatened. Um, so these are our players in the story. So a man, a king, a someone in power who is very, very threatened and willing to kill when his power is threatened. And some very, very powerful people who are king makers and king deposers who show up in his capital city. So this story is ripe for excitement. We are ready for conflict. We are ready for a great story. And we got one. Um, so let's look at the plot. Let's look at what happened in our story. <clears throat> now, um, it says that uh, Magi from the East arrived in Jerusalem. Well, that's not where the Messiah was born. Why did they come to Jerusalem? Well, this is how I think anyway. I'm always asking why. <laughs> why did they come to Jerusalem? Well, it just makes sense. Um, in Daniel's prophecy about the Messiah, that's the only city that was mentioned. It was timed from the restoration and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital city. So that's where you would expect to find a king if there was a king um, being prepared for to rule. Um, so it kind of makes sense that they came to Jerusalem um, and they expected everyone there to know. You know, they were asking everyone, where is he who has born, has been born the king of the Jews? We saw a star, we're, you know, so you probably already know because we came from a great distance. It took us a while. So where is he? They expected everyone to know. They expected there to be excitement. They're, they expected something different than what they, what they found. Um, but it's interesting to me that they saw his star in the east and they came to worship him. They didn't just come to acknowledge him or to trade with him or to establish diplomatic relations with him. 
They came to worship him. I just think that, that Daniel explained a lot of things to these guys 600 years ago. Maybe, maybe not, but that would make sense to me. Um, they knew that there was something prophetic about this king. They knew that there was something even divine about this king, something that the Jewish people who had been the possessors of these prophecies didn't know or didn't recognize or didn't respond to somehow. But these non-believers from the East came to worship him. Now, um, Herod wasn't quite ready for this. Um, there was, oh, there was this um, prophecy in Jeremiah. And remember that Daniel was a student of Jeremiah's writings because he was the one that noticed when the 70 years that Jeremiah prophesied was over and he started praying for God to fulfill that prophecy. So he was a student of Jeremiah's writings and maybe he shared this with the wise men and the magi and the people um, in in Persia, when he was there, this prophecy of this Messiah coming says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up a branch for, when I will raise up for David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king. So I knew there was a king coming and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live securely and get this. And his, and this is his name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. And it's not just the word Lord, like someone in position. This is this small caps Lord, which means that the original word in the text was Yahweh, was Jehovah, God's personal name. This king that was coming was named Yahweh. That's who was coming to reign and restore and everything that's so so they had this concept they came to worship him it's really bothering me that i didn't capitalize jews sorry <laughs> i'll fix that i go um <clears throat> so they knew what was happening they knew it was something big anyway they knew it was something supernatural something they needed to make a trip for but here was herod the king of the Jews, his heart was troubled by this news. Herod was troubled by this news. Now, I learned a little bit more about um, history, uh, the history of this time. I told you that Herod was not popular in Judah, so he was already always had his defenses up and was ready. Um, he had already had to flee the region once before he was king when the Persians helped the Jews revolt against Rome. The Jews apparently were the least compliant, it sounds like to me, of all the people that Rome conquered. And um, they, they were a festering sore <laughs> to the Romans and they, they uh, revolted, even though they were little and not very powerful. They, <laughs> they were like a little tiny dog that, that barks all the time, you know. Um, and so anyway, the Persians had kind of supported the Jews against Rome at one time. So here was, here was Herod. Um, he was worried that at any time his subjects might conspire again. And at this time, it wasn't the Persian Empire. Right next to, adjacent to Rome was the Parthian Empire. And that's what the Persians were now part of and had influence in. 
you know, when um, when the Jews left Persia and went to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, remember, many of them stayed, probably mo- a majority of them stayed in Persia. And I don't know if this is true or not, but it was said that some of the Persian kings had Jewish blood. So I don't know if that actually was true or not, but you can imagine how threatening this must have been to Herod. Um so most of the, okay, so I said that. The Hebrew scriptures said that a powerful king was coming and it would be very natural for him to worry that these magi might be taking advantage of Herod's unpopularity and that there was uh, another threat coming to his position in power. I mean, it just helps to put this in the context of history and see what was going on and why these people responded the way that they did. Um, Herod took their arrival as a plot against his throne, and we can see that by his response. He was troubled. And it just occurs to me that he was the one who had the title King of the Jews. And they came and asked, who is the one who has been born King of the Jews? The only time that the coming of Jesus is troubling is when we don't want him on the throne, when we want to be the king of me, when we want to be the king of my plans, of my circumstances, of my life. He didn't want Jesus to be king of the Jews, and so it was troubling to him. He wanted to hold on to that title, that position, that place. He wanted to be king of the Jews. And so the coming of Jesus was troubling to him. But this just blows my mind. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He didn't ask, are there any other royal families around? Is there someone else who might have a claim, a legitimate claim to this throne? I don't know if they still did things that way, but, you know, I think to medieval England and how that worked with with that kind of, you know, monarchy. Um, His mind, when he heard that the king of the Jews might have been born, his mind went right to the Messiah, the prophecies, the promised coming king, the divine promise. That's where his mind went? Now look at these predictions of the Messiah. Daniel had predicted Messiah the prince was coming around that time period. Micah had said, uh, this is this is the verse that this the the Jewish leaders pulled out when he asked them, where does the Bible say? Apparently, Herod wasn't having his devotions, and he wasn't reading the Bible every day. He didn't remember what the prophecies were, but he remembered that they were there. So he had to ask the the leaders, where's the Messiah supposed to come? And they pulled out this verse from Micah and said, but as for you, Beth Bethlehem Ephrata. You too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will come forth from me to be the ruler, to be ruler in Israel. His times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Isaiah had said a child would be born, a son would be given to us, the government would rest on his shoulders, and his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. And Jeremiah had said that his name would be Yahweh. These, this was, if you put all the prophecies together, this was the picture of the Messiah that was coming. He was the prophesied, the promised Messiah, and he was divine. He was God. It was already in the prophecies that it would be God coming in the flesh. If you, if you studied enough and didn't miss it, 
Herod's response was to murder him. Herod knew this was this could be the Messiah, and the prophecies about the Messiah said this would be God himself. And he wanted to sit on the throne so badly that he was willing to kill the Messiah. He was willing to kill God if he was really reading these prophecies and really recognizing what they were saying. That just blows my mind. But that is part of the story. That is what Herod was doing. There's another player in our story, and that's the star. Um, I read that there were there are different theories about what this star could have been. Some people have postulated that it was just a comet. Some have looked at that time in history and thought that maybe there was a special conjunction of Jupiter and Venus at that time, and that there was some symbology of of God coming to a woman or something like that. And there are those who... um, think that this star was just something supernatural, that it really didn't have the um, characteristics of a star. The star doesn't move and stop and that kind of thing. Um, and so some people think that this was something supernatural, like, like the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that led the children of Israel um, in Moses' day. <clears throat> some have um, even suggested that this could have been the angels that the, um, that the shepherds saw, the angels announcing Jesus' birth. And maybe God, this was how God was supernaturally leading these people from far away um, to, come, to come and see. The thing is, uh, when they saw the star, it, it moved, it stopped where the child was, and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You and I... God has put stars in our lives too. There have been people, there have been circumstances, there have been supernatural moments when the Holy Spirit spoke to our minds and hearts that have led us also to Jesus, just like that star led the Magi to Jesus. And at this time in in Christmas, when we celebrate this story and this event, it's not a bad idea to just stop and ask yourself who and what were those stars. Even make a list. Just meditate on what are the things, what are the thoughts, what are the the songs or the events or the people or the stories or the things that God has used in my life, unique and specific to you, because God knows you uniquely and he has met you according to your personality and your learning style. Um, He has met you in different ways. What are the stars? that God has used in your life to lead you to Bethlehem. Um, After they came into the house, they saw the child, the house, by the way, it wasn't the stable. (laughs) They were in a house by now. Um, After they came into the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him gifts of gold frankincense, and myrrh. Um, To get to this place, we don't know exactly what part of the Parthian Empire they came from, but if they came from the Persian side, 
it could have taken them weeks, months, or even up to a couple of years to get to this place. It could have been a 1200 mile journey on donkeys. And they were important people. They wouldn't have traveled just by themselves. They would have had a retinue of servants and food for the journey. You know, you're going through the desert. So all of that is, is kind of a plodding journey. It's not really a quick flight over there. Um, so Herod had asked them exactly when did you see this star? And then he killed the children two years old and younger. So it could have, they could have indicated that it had been a couple years that it had taken them um, to get there. They got there by studying the prophecies, knowing prophecies, and then looking for their fulfillment. And their journey was long. And I would like to suggest that all of us are on this journey. For some of us, the journey is a quick flight. We get on Southwest and we're there. For some of us, the journey is a camel ride. It's a long journey. But God has not abandoned us, whether our journey is long or quick. And I would like to also suggest that it's not enough to believe or know the prophecies. Herod and all of Jerusalem also knew the prophecies. We are this group of Christian people are a group that especially love to study prophecy. And prophecy is awesome. It's incredible. It gives you um, confidence in the Bible, in the word of God. It prepares you, helps you understand your times and prepares you for the future. But just studying numbers and dates and timelines and knowing facts is not enough. It wasn't enough. The prophecies need to lead you to Bethlehem. The prophecies need to lead you to a personal encounter with the God who came um, and appeared in Bethlehem as a real and personal savior. We might believe prophecies and follow the light we see in other people's lives, but God faithfully leads us one step at a time to come to him into his presence, into a personal relationship with him. And when they came and worshiped, and then they gave him gifts. And um, I, I realized, or someone pointed out to me at one time, that these, these gifts were kind of prophetic. They were um, practical because eventually, he did, they didn't know it, but they were going to have to flee to Egypt. And in a very practical sense, it really helped them to have this gold, right? But they were also prophetic. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold was uh, symbolic of kings. Kings sat on gold thrones. Kings had gold scepters. Gold was not what the common people had. It was the stuff of royalty. And it was, it was a... a, 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 an, a indication that this was, they had come to a little kid in a little house, you know, in a, with a poor family, but he was a king. Frankincense was used um, in the temple incense. It was part of the priesthood. And he was also our priest, our great high priest. And the myrrh was used in burial and anointing. He was going to be buried and he was also going to be anointed. Um, I love, too, that myrrh was also in the 
the beauty treatments that were given to Esther and all the women in Persia. <laughs> um, and what, what more beautiful picture of God's love was there than that he came to walk with us and wear our skin and understand us and hold our hands and then die for us and take it all for us. Um, and here he was, here he was, the sacrifice. He was the one that was going to die. He was going to be the sacrifice, the priest, and the king. Think of the sanctuary. Think of the temple. He was every part of it. He was the sacrifice, and he was the priest, and he was the king. And it was all fulfilled in him. Um, yeah. I'd like to also suggest that when we come to Jesus um, and we come into relationship with him and we recognize that he came for us and that he is our savior and he is the one who is Emmanuel, God's presence with us. And we have him alive in our lives now, walking with us, that we also have gifts. Whatever gifts he's given you, whatever talents he's given you, um, at one point when my kids were really little, I was trying to explain the concept of talents to them. And I was trying to explain, you know, some, everybody has stuff they're good at, you know, and there's some people that are really good at singing and there's some people that are really good at sports. And there's some people that are really good at math and, you know, we all have our talents and they're not all the same. Not everyone's good at everything. I tried to explain talents and I asked them, what do you think you're good at? And they told me what they thought their talents were. And then I asked them, what do you think mommy is good at? And they both without skipping a beat simultaneously said laundry. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we all have gifts, and I would like to suggest that the natural next step of coming into Jesus' presence and recognizing who he is and worshiping him is to give him our gifts, and he will just grow them and expand them and use them to change the world and to touch people's lives. Beautiful things happen when you give God your gifts. So... This is a story that happened a long time ago to people that you've never met. But this is also your story. Everything in the Bible is also your story. So I'd like you to think about what your stars are. Um, what is it that God has used or is using to lead you to him? What are your magi? It really strikes me in this story that when the Messiah came, when God came to earth, when prophecies were fulfilled, it was not his people who recognized it. God used pagans from the East to come to the Jews to tell them that their Messiah had arrived. There is no place for spiritual pride, for spiritual arrogance. There is no place to think that God isn't reaching out and even speaking to and using other people who are not part of your belief system or your faith community. God made everyone, loves everyone, is reaching out to everyone. And there might be times that God even uses the Magi from the East to come and let you know that he is here and that he is real. Um. And, I, and I'd like to talk to you about your worship. Now, this is something that really impressed me. I'd like to take you back um, to one of the first redeemers, symbolic of the coming redeemer that God sent to the Israelites, and that was Moses. 
when Moses came to take them out of Egypt, um, he met up with Aaron and they went and met with the leaders of the Israelites in who were still uh, in Egypt. And they assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. So they told him everything that happened at the bush. Um, he then performed the signs in the sight of the people. Remember, God had given Moses some miracles to show them. Throw your staff down and it became a snake. And put your hand inside your robe and it came out leprous. And then it was healed again, remember? So they showed them these signs. They saw these miracles. Uh, all of them saw. So the people believed. When they saw miraculous happenings, they believed. But it doesn't stop there. And then it says, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed low. Hearing the facts was a good step to get there, but that, wasn't, that gave them mental assent. That gave them understanding. That gave them belief. That gave them something intellectual. But when they saw God's heart, when they saw his character, when they realized that he cared about them, that he'd been, he'd been listening, they hadn't been by themselves, but that he had a heart that was connected to their hearts. They saw who he was, what he was like, what his character was. Then they bowed. Then worship happened. Then they put him on the throne. I would like to suggest that every time you read the Bible, it is not just there for information. It's there to lead you to, the, to Bethlehem. It's there to lead you to the feet of Jesus. It's there to lead you to see what God is like. God is not just giving you history and information and doctrine. He's trying to reveal himself to you. He's trying to show you what he's really like because he can't face to face anymore. He's on lockdown. <laughs> There's a virus. Ooh, we could go on with this, can we? Um, yeah, so, so when you read the Bible, don't just get the facts, but ask yourself, what does this show me that God is like? Because when you see his heart, when you see his character, when he becomes real to you and you, you recognize the depth of his love for you, you will bow, you will worship, you will go beyond intellectual understanding to worshiping him, to bowing. I just want to, um, oh, oh, yes, this is another favorite verse that kind of says the same thing. In Hebrews 11, it says, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, that's the facts, that's the intellectual assent, that's the, okay, yes, I can see, I believe there is a God, there is a creator, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him, that he is good, that his heart is good, that he's a God of love. This is my favorite topic, so I could go on and on about that. But I would just like to take a little parenthetical moment here and say something about 2020. We are celebrating Christmas at the end of um, a very difficult year for all of us. Um, we've all experienced 2020 in a different way. And I just wanted to share with you, before I close out this Magi story, I wanted to um, share with you a couple thoughts. Um, when I, when the year started, I wrote in my journal all my hopes about the year 2020. Um, 
I was reading in the Psalms and I read this Psalm that said, you crown the year with your goodness. And so I was looking at the fact that it was the year 2020. And this was my prayer. Um, my prayer for this new year was penned by Stephen Schwartz. Although I don't believe he has faith in God himself, he has written the music for several musicals, and some of them are um, kind of Bible-themed or religious-based. And he penned these words several years ago. And this is my prayer for 2020. Oh, dear Lord, three things I pray. To see thee more clearly. See, because it was 2020 to love thee more dearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day. I wanted to see God more clearly in 2020. I had no idea what was coming down the pike, had no clue what was around the corner. Global pandemic, contentious election, violence and rioting in the streets, things that I had never seen. And it wasn't the year that I imagined. I had read at the beginning that God would crown this year with his goodness. And so I'm asking today, 2000 years ago, God came to us. But in 2020, God has come to us. And he's been here, no matter how hard this year has been. He wants us. The question is, do you have 2020 vision? What has been your vision in 2020? This is the vision that God wants us to have. For your loving kindness is before my eyes. No matter what's going on, we've got to keep God's truth about what he is and who he is, his loving kindness before our eyes. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. God wants us to have 2020 vision. Behold the Lamb of God. I just realized that when we're going through tough times, it's even more important just to open the Bible and behold the Lamb. Fix your eyes on Jesus, or you'll get swept under the waves. You'll get taken by the storm. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. Behold the beauty of the Lord. That's what we see in his temple. We behold the beauty of the Lord. So, as we close out this difficult year, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if um, there's even greater trials coming around the pike. I mean, there's part of my Bible that says things get worse before they get better. It doesn't mean next year is going to be awful. But as we remember that God came 2,000 years ago, let's remember that in 2020, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is the God who comes comes to us. He is the God who dwells with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us, no matter what the year is, no matter what we're going through. And so the closing for our story is this. Today, may you see clearly the stars in your life that are guiding you to know and love God more. May you die to all spiritual pride and may you live to crown Jesus, King of your life. May every day be another step on your journey to fall at his feet and worship your Savior, your priest, and your Lord.